0: I did say, hey, Ron, (laughs) it was me on the hymns. Um, Amazing thing, that's a hymn there. It's just written, what, two years ago, right? It it tells a biblical story of your redemption. Uh, And that's that's why we define hymns uh, that way. And so that was a great hymn. And it was written two years ago. Some are written 200 years ago. We're going to look at one today that's written 2,000 years ago. Uh, So anyway. It is good to be back. I was at a men's conference last week, and um, they were very gracious to me, and they gave me a cold. So uh, when you travel outside the area of the germs that you're used to, you know, you meet new germs, and, uh, and, I, and I met them well. So uh, anyway, it is good to be back. I listened to Ron's sermon this week, and it was just phenomenal, and uh, it reminds me how blessed we are of the men who proclaim the Word of God here in our church. And um, I, I would really encourage you to thank him uh, for giving us men who can preach and teach. And uh, it's a very uh, great gift to the church. So we want to thank him for that. This morning, I'm going to introduce you to the book of Philippians. And I'm glad you're here. It's a little maybe a little different sermon. One, I don't have a tremendous amount of strength in my voice. Uh, two, it's a little more historical. Because I, I want you to come away with... Um, a longing to know this book. In fact, let me say this. I want our church to know this church in Philippi. That's my goal of preaching this. I want us to feel like we know these people and we can't wait to meet them when we get to heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by it. So let me pray and then we will jump into the word of God. Father, thank you for... A chance to start a new book this morning as we study Your Word, Lord. Uh, we know that studying men's words are failures, Lord. Will it will never come to Your truth, Lord? So we study Your Word. We teach it verse by verse, even word by word at times, Lord, when we're trying to grasp these deep truths. But Lord, we are particularly excited about this book of Philippians, written to a church in Philippi many, many years ago. But yet, Lord, the truths. Resound the same today. We need this truth. We, each one of us, Lord, need to hear from your word and understand what you were writing so long ago through the Apostle Paul, and yet have profound effects on us 2,000 years later. So, Lord, we pray that you would um, strengthen us. Give us a zeal, help us to be consistent in hearing the book of Philippians, Lord, and coming and being a part of this as a body of Christ, Lord, as we study through this in the coming months, Lord. Father, we give you praise for all that we're going to say here today, Lord. We know it is your spirit who does this. So you are to be honored and praised in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Philippians, if you turn to it, it's... In the New Testament, of course, and uh, work your way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and you'll come to the book of Philippians. Philippians is, um, Philippians is a wonderful book. Uh, it's, it's a book that really kind of sets our desires straight. So often, we are taught about happiness in this life, aren't we? We are taught that what you need is happiness, don't you? In fact, we are very unhappy sometimes when we're not happy. Uh, because happiness is what the world is running after. There is a very different theme to this book. This book is not so much about joy. And I know you've probably heard that the book of Philippians is a book about joy. Because nowhere else is the word rejoice or the word the root word we get for joy used in all of the scriptures as much as it's used in the book of Philippians. So many people have said it's a book about joy. I want to correct your thinking just right now, and I want to put this thought in your head as we study this. It is a book about the joy giver. It is a book about the joy giver. And you will never experience joy until you intimately know the one and the only one who can give it to you. And you'll find, even as believers, we will chase happiness at times versus joy. And I hope this book locks us in on what really brings joy in in ourselves. And I think even this morning in the introduction that we'll find that. So Philippians is about the joy giver. Okay, we're learning. We're coming along here already. So Lord willing, we'll get better and better at that. There's a short outline on the back of your notes that I'll try my best to kind of follow as we go through this this morning. I want to start, first of all, with the city of Philippi and explain just a little bit about it. And I want to do that by putting um, a map up. I think Michael's going to put up there behind me. Um, and this, this is a map that portrays a little bit of uh, an understanding, a little bit of some of Paul's journeys here. How many, how many missionary journeys did Paul go on? Three. He went on Three. Philippi was planted in the second missionary journey. And it's important to understand that because there's a lot of things that went on between these journeys. Now, I think I have a little clicker here that Michael said if I push a button, something will happen. Oh, there we go. Okay, so uh, uh, while, you're, while you're looking at this, can you please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15? Because we have to find where this book is placed in the planting and all that went on. Acts chapter 15. Look at the first verse with me of Acts chapter 15. Now, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Now, look what the quote is here in Acts chapter 15, verse verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, does anybody have a problem with that? Does that fly in the face of what Christ taught? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me and circumcision. No, that's not right, is it? So there's heresy that's moving into the church. Now, so here's what happened. Paul, Paul's sending church is this Antioch right now, here. There's another Antioch of Bethsaida up here. We'll talk about them later. This is the starting point of all of his missionary journeys. But in Acts chapter 15, he is in between missionary journeys. The first missionary journey, he went here. He left Antioch. He went up through Tarsus and Derbe and Iconium and Lystra. He got the living daylights beat out of him on those trips. They, they followed him from city to city and beat him up because of the gospel. Literally, stoned him, left him for dead. When we read in 2 Corinthians about his beatings that he went through, um, beat three times, 40 minus one, ship dra- I mean, all that's the whole list that in there, that all that he went through, much of that took place in this area right here on his first missionary journey. Now, if you and I went on a missionary journey, and I took you with me overseas somewhere, and you got beat up severely, You may say, Scott, I'm not going again. Well, you know what he did on the first missionary journey? He worked his way through here, got to Antioch-Pesada, turned around, and went right back through him again because he was so concerned because those who were following him through were distorting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Acts chapter 15 starts out with this verse. He writes the book of Galatians right there. And he sends a letter to these churches. This would have been what we call the churches of the southern Galatian area. So the book of Galatians, his first inspired letter is written while he travels through that time. And you know the book of Galatians. It's about the gospel. It's about protecting the gospel. It's about the doctrine of justification, that there's no way you can be justified any other way except through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what was going on. So he would leave from here, and he would go on these missionary journeys, men from Jerusalem, who believed in Jesus, that he died and he buried and was possibly raised from the dead, but there's no way you can be saved unless you do a bunch of things, followed him all the way up here, and as he taught here, they disturbed all these churches. They said, that's a good thing that you believe in Jesus, but if you don't get this done and eat this or don't eat this and don't wear that and have all this stuff, you cannot go to heaven. You cannot be a part of our kingdom that God has given to the Jews. This brought great disturbance. In the rest of the book of Acts, chapter Acts, verse 15, is Paul, when he returned back from this trip, he went straight down there. And he wanted the record straight. And when you study, and I don't have time to do this, he goes, to Acts, he goes here to Jerusalem, him and Barnabas, he meets up with James, they go and they set the council straight on what it means to be saved. And, and, and they see it, and they realize, look, the true saving knowledge is found in Christ alone, not in all these things. Now they warn the, they warn the brother not to get caught up in things that idols, or they warn him of some things, but never do they say that any of those things have to do with your salvation. And so Paul, what he does as we work our way to Philippi and the reason we're talking about here is he leaves Jerusalem and he goes back to, this is kind of what he would call his home church, his sending church of Antioch. And he goes back and he reports to them all that had been discussed in Jerusalem and and how they had set the record straight of what the gospel was and the importance to go. So after being beat up, left for dead, he probably looked like a a, when they took his clothes off him, he looked as bad as Christ probably looked when they were done with him. He was whipped so bad and stoned so bad. He, he was a wreck. And no wonder the Corinthians, Corinthians said you're hard to look upon. Well, it probably wasn't by natural. So he leaves here again, and this is his start now of the second missionary journey that he goes. And guess where he goes right back to? These places where he had been severely beaten, where he had been attacked for the gospel. And, and they would just, what they would do is they would incite riots, they would say that he's teaching against the gods of the local people. And then those people would join these Jews that were trying to kill him. And it just became a, a terrible thing. And he'd, move, he'd get going, and they'd plant churches, and he would leave people behind to help train, and the churches would get planted in here. Now, as we work our way into the understanding what Philippi is, I want you to understand what he did. He, he goes from here, and he works his way across here And then he, he stops in Antioch-Pesada, and we have passages there that he talks about in there. But then he moves, um, moves all the way up, which is called the Bithynia uh, region, and he's working his way through what we call Asia Minor, and he knows he needs to get to Greece. He knows he needs to get up, get up in here, which is what we call the northeastern part of Greece, up in here. And that's his goal. He believes God's leading him to get to this point. Now, there is a scale right here it doesn't take you long to start figuring out a man who doesn't have a motorcycle, um, he doesn't have a Prius, um, he may have a camel, I'm not sure, but he's going a long, long ways. And his goal is the gospel. He believed firmly that God was sending him to spread the gospel around the world. And this is, and, and for all intents and purposes at this time in life, the known world. This is it. So when Jesus ascended, he said that the gospel was going to go out to, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, Samaria, which would be up, this is Judea, Samaria, and even to the farther reaches of the world. And he believed he was part of that. And he did, he did phenomenal things. Now, let's get to Philippi. Notice that he has to get across some bodies of water as well. And he gets to Troas here which is where he's from. That's the hometown to him. And he sails, and he hits an island here, and then he works his way to Nanthopolis. And he stops there, and then about eight miles in is the town Philippi. And I want to just give you just a little bit <clears> of <throat> background about Philippi. Um, Philippi was a very important city in this uh, Mescotania area. Um, if you, It's kind of hard to see on this map. Can we go to the next one, Michael? There we go. Um, here's... Neapolis here, where he landed here. He made his eight-mile journey into here, and he landed in Philippi. Now, this valley right here is very fertile. And because of that, it became an important valley, much like Hollister, Salinas. They grew vegetables. They grew what the Roman colonies needed to, to supply the demand that was there and also to supply their large war force. But beyond that, see these, these are hills right here? They're kind of surrounded. Kind of, <coughs> there's a valley there that kind of comes up into the corner there. These hills had gold in them. And guess who found them? A man named Philip. <laughs> a man named Philip, and guess who he was? He was the father of the great Alexander the Great. And he was serious about taking this. He came in. There were several wars that he was engaged in to grab (coughs) and seize this land. And um, over time, uh, he ran this and mined them and used them for many many of of his own exploits. But what was the next country to come along and uh, take out... Take out Greek, Greece. (coughs) Anybody remember? Who? Romans. So here comes the Romans. (coughs) Uh, (laughs) You know this point where you can't stop a tickle in your throat? (laughs) I have them. (coughs) (coughs) So after, after Alexander the Great had been there and conquered for a while, the Romans came in. And they came to Philippi in order to conquer it themselves. And there's a big war. And if if you remember, it had Antony and Octavian, um, Caesar Augustus. All these things were involved in it. (coughs) And Brutus and Cassius were fighting there. And they win the battle. And the the place becomes a Roman republic. And there, um, now Rome takes over this. And now that brings us into the present day when uh, Paul gets there. It's now a Roman colony, and we'll, we'll see that as we read here in just a, a few moments, that it becomes this Roman colony. And, the, and because it was a Roman colony, what happened is they began to take retired army vets, and they began to put them there. And it became place, um, Philippi was not, not uh, a wealthy place. You, you wouldn't say it's um, uh, a los Gatos or somewhere up there where Silicon people, it's the working class. It's, it's policemen. It's, it's retired military. It's a working, very much of a working class place. They were not known. In fact, Paul lets us know throughout the letters that Philippi was one of the poorest churches. And one of the things we're going to learn as we study through Philippi, everything Paul did, they wanted to financially be involved in. They were the greatest giver to Paul's missionary journeys and to the establishments of the church. And they were the poorest of all of them. Um, of all where the churches were so they're a fascinating church one of the things that we learn about philippi is because it became a roman colony everybody in it was looked at as a roman citizen so their taxes went to rome and 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 local authorities could not do anything against a roman citizen they did not have jurisdiction over that roman citizen and that's very important so i want to turn your attention now to acts chapter 15 uh, verse 36 This is the start of this journey, and it doesn't start all that great. Verse 36 says, and there were some, after some days, Paul Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we had proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, that's where he goes back, and he's going to go back. We're going to go to Lystra. We're going to go to Iconium. We're going to go to Derbe. We're going to go back to those cities, (laughs) and and Barnabas knew what happened. How would you like to be Paul's buddy? okay, <laughs> we're going back there? Yeah, we're going to go back there. And notice his concern. And proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. See, he loved the church. He loved the church so deeply that he would he would not want to cause problems in it, but he would want to go and see how they are. He cared for them. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, along with them. There was a problem with John Mark. And Paul says there in verse 38, Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and, and, and had not gone with them to work. In his first missionary journey, things got bad. People are throwing stones at you. They want you dead. And John Mark says, I didn't sign up for this. He's young, and he said, I'm going to back out of this. And he left them. That didn't go over well with Paul. Paul Paul was ready to die for the Lord. And if you went with him, he expected you ready to die for the Lord as well. John, Mark, um, had failed in that area. And, and there was a disagreement here. In fact, verse 39, and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. So they agreed that, look, I can't take John at this point. Barnabas, whose name is called the Son of Encouragement you can appreciate Barnabas, said, I see some value in this man. I think he's, he's, and we gotta read between the lines a little more here. I think he is, understand what he's done, I'm gonna take him. And they agreed to that. Now, let me just throw something about John Mark because we wanna understand, we don't wanna throw John Mark under the bus too hard here. Reverse and run him over. Um, (laughs) At the end of Paul's letter in 2 Timothy chapter 2, just before he dies, he says to Timothy, bring John Mark with you. He is profitable to me. So whatever John Mark's problem was, he outgrew that. He learned to give his life to the Lord, and he goes on to write the book of Mark. And Peter is his main source of course, the Holy Spirit riding through Mark. So Mark becomes this very strong man who follows the Lord, but he didn't have a great start. Is anybody in here have not had a great start in Christianity? Yeah, right? Some of us stumble a little bit, and it's a good lesson there, so I just wanted to point that out. Verse 40, Mark chose, who did he choose, uh, Tracy? Silas. He took Silas. They have a son named Silas. <laughs> he took Silas with him. And those, what they said, and they left and, be, and being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. That means the elders of the church took them, laid hands on them, and said, we're sending you out. And that's really neat to be a part of that when you send people out to plant churches or do mission work. Um, And it traveled through uh, Syria and Sicily and uh, strengthening the churches, just moving from one church to the next and strengthening them. Now, here we come to chapter 16, and we want to get to Philippi and try to understand this here in the next little bit here. Verse 1, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra, and disciples there was named Timothy. Oh, that's right. We've got to pick up Timothy here. He's going to get on board here. So Lystra and Derby are places that he got beat up very bad, first missionary journey. Um, there, was a, there was a disciple there. Now, this is important. There's a man named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. This is, a, this is a, an intermarriage that probably was not sanctioned by the Jews, was a very difficult way to be raised. Because here, mom came from a Jewish, probably devout, to a a a theistic, God-fearing presentation of who God is. In fact, later the Bible tells us in in the book of 1 and 2 Timothy that he was raised by these women who taught him Christ. But he had a father that most theologians believe that wasn't saved. He would have been pantheistic, meaning he would not have worshipped the Lord God, our Savior, he would have worshipped many gods. He would have, he would have followed many gods. And, and in a lot of these towns, you had the goddess of Dianas and arxes and I mean, just all kinds of stuff that was going on. Two, uh, verse two, he says, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Now, I want you to grab this. These towns had churches in them, but when Paul came to the churches, all these mean people showed up and beat up the person they loved the most. Paul, but inside this, these churches were growing and they raised up a young man named Timothy who was recognized as a devout lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, Paul wanted this man to go with him. I need this man. This was not just some slouch. This is not a guy that, you know, hey, Jesus is cool. I kind of like to hang around for a little while. Timothy, I want you to go with me. You have proven yourself Well, where are we going? Well, we're we're going where they're going to try to kill us. Right? And not only that, look at the rest of verse 3. And he took him and he circumcised him. Oh, there's one other thing I need to do (laughs) before we leave. I I mean, not to get too graphic, but this is not easily done to an older man. (laughs) Most of our boys, this is done before eight days, right? This is difficult. And he did this for a reason. Notice, because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. He did this to protect Timothy. It was not done to part of his salvation in any way. He did it to protect him. And uh, and and you see, and there's so much to this. You can speak on this for so long. A man who would subject himself to the difficulties of this process is a man worth studying and seeing what his life was about. And we'll see him throughout um, the journeys and uh, of Paul's verse four. Now, while they were they were passing through the cities, they were were uh, delivering the decrees which had been decided upon the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. That was chapter fifteen. So the churches were being strengthened in faith, and look at this, and were increasing in numbers daily. You're going; they're increasing. They are literally when every time they assembled, they were threats for their lives. And you say their faith is growing and their numbers are growing. Do you think God builds his church through persecution? He refines it as well. And we see that happening in verse 5. Look at verse 6. And they pass through uh, Phrygian and Galatians galatian region having forbidden by the holy spirit to speak the word in asia so um, if you saw on that map there's a big section of a long stretch that he doesn't do anything there at this point he's going to go back there later Um, but at this point he doesn't stop in there the lord said no i do not want you preaching the gospel here isn't that interesting there's places that we have watched through the years, just in my short life of ministry, that we have seen God finally open the doors to the word of God that have never been opened. There's times where God just says, no, I am not going to allow my gospel to go there at this point. And you go, that's kind of strange that we want the whole world to hear. God has a purpose and he has sovereignty and he opens eyes and ears at times he wants to open them. And so here he says, I don't want you going there. And so Paul obeys and he goes right on through. And after verse seven, they came to Misa and they... And, and they were trying to go through Bithynia, and the Spirit of the Lord did not permit them. So he, look, he was going to go, I shouldn't put that map back down, above Asia is Bithynia, and he was wanting to go up that way, and I'll, and I'll show you why he was trying to go up that way. Can we go back one slide, Michael? Thank you. And can I learn to push the right button? Okay. Um, So his goal was here He was going to go up this way He was going to try to get on this Aegean way This is the main conference route Through here So he was going to go up this way Now the Bible just says that God didn't want him going up this way And he didn't want him stopping while he went through this way Why do you think he did that? I I can just surmise that There was a trap laid for Paul Something was going to happen to Paul and God did not want his servant to die. And, and no matter what Paul's plan, God said, no, you're going to go this way. And he does this all the time. You've been, you've been going somewhere and you were five minutes late and you came to the intersection and there was a head-on collision and there's fatalities and you go, oh Lord, if I would have left five minutes early, I would have been in that. Wait, we've seen this. And I think that's what the Lord did as he took him up this way. So his goal was to go this way and work his way that way. God said, no, I want you to go this way and go here. Now, this was much more expensive. He had to rent ships and sail. This is always dangerous in this time of uh, that time of life, and, and yet God provided all the way for him to get up there. So that's where he's at, and that's where he's headed here. Um, pathing through Miza, they came down to Troas, and, and, and here's really interesting. It says, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Mesopotamia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Mesopotamia and help us. Now, this is interesting. We never see who this man is. There's no revelation of of who this person is. Some commentators say it possibly was a Philippian jailer. uh, Whoever it was, the Lord appear to Paul, remember there's no, there's no finished book, um, God is working in supernatural ways and he's speaking through, to them through dreams and revelation in that time. He does not do that anymore, he has in the past did that, now he speaks to us through the spirit of God working through the scriptures. So he sees this vision and when he, ha- when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to, Ma- to Macedonia. Now, I'm in verse 10, do you see the we there? Who's the We? Well, this is interesting. We call this the we patches of Acts. It's we because Luke is writing this. Luke is a very, very godly man. Of course, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, that we have in the four gospels But we call these the we passages Because Luke was with the apostle Paul Many many times And he records the journey of the church The explosion of the gospel Within, within the church And he says we were with him So here's who I believe now Verse 10 who's, who's traveling together At least there are these four men There's Paul, there's Silas There's Timothy and there's Luke and there's these four men, at least four men, traveling together to places where they, people would like to kill them. So, in, in concluding that, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, he said, okay, this is where we're going. We now have our marching orders. It's as though when Paul starts out, he doesn't really have a plan. He wants to go visit churches that he's already, already um, planned it. But he doesn't really know where God's going to lead them from them. But he just puts his life in the hands of the Lord, and he moves on. Verse 11. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Sarathras. That's that little island. And then the following day to Nepalus. That's the coastal city. He lands there. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. and we stay, And we were staying in the city for some days. So now he finally comes to Philippi. Now, on the Sabbath, look what he does. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a river. Uh, I believe that's probably the uh, Gangatai's or Gangates River, I think it is, that runs through there. Uh, Where where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who assembled. Now, I just want to note some neat things that are going on here. When Paul traveled, his custom was always to go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Because that's the way God laid out his plan he started with Abraham nation of Israel and then moved to the Gentiles well he's in a Roman city that there was no synagogue in fact many of these Roman colonies they did not allow Jewish synagogues so he's noticed that in verse 13 that he goes outside the gate and goes down to the river and look who he's looking for he's looking for Jews who are praying on the sabbath And it's fascinating. And he finds them. Look at verse 14. A woman named Lydia, who was of the city of Thyatira, the seller of purple fabrics. Notice this. A worshiper of God. She was listening. Now look at this next phrase. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. There's a couple of phrases there I want you to get. This was a devout religious person who's not saved. Did you get that in verse 14 there? She's a worshiper of God. This is not, this is not just some pagan who's fallen down behind to, to the goddess Diana. She is a devout person. She, she believes there is a God and, is God and he is the God of Israel. But yet, <coughs> her heart was not open to the gospel. And notice, look what happens. The Lord opened her heart. Hey, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you better pray this prayer because you ain't opening their heart. There's no way a man can open the heart of another man. It is the Lord's work that does this. God must enter in in a sovereign way and unlock the heart that is hardened with sin. Um, Jeremiah said it this way, said again in Hebrews, that he takes out the heart of stone. A heart of stone can't love, right? You want to curl up with something of stone? And he replaces it with a heart of flesh. Something that beats. Something that can love. Something that can be rescued and saved. And he puts that in. And that's what he did with this this woman Lydia here. She's she's an amazing woman. I think she's probably wealthy um, at some level. She's from Thyatira, which is... Uh, a church that is there. We see that is mentioned in Revelation 7 and not in a good way. Um, uh, but she has come down and she now it seems to be moved into the Philippi area trying to possibly establish a business here. And, and selling of purple would have been a very important thing. Who do you think bought purple? Royalty, that's right. And guards and Romans and, and robes and all of those things. So she's, try- she's a very smart woman. She's trying to establish a business to the upper elite. Don't blame her for that. But God comes and meets her here and opens her heart. Notice what happens, verse 15. She gets saved, and when she and her household had been baptized, this. The, remember, we're in a narrative here, so we don't hear all of what goes on, but she takes this message to her household, to her family, husband, children, slaves, servants, all of that, this gospel shared with them. These people receive the Lord Jesus Christ and they're baptized. I mean, they're identified with Jesus Christ. No, not longer identified as Jews or, or worshipers of God. They're identified as the word baptismo. They're identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You know, she had a gift of hospitality too. Let me come take care of you. I want you in my home. I want I want she, when you receive the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ it's amazing what happens to you you begin to want to desire these. Verse 16 and it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. So now you have the first believers in Philippi this Lydia's home. They're evangelizing, they're working away because it's a narrative they're working through the town. They're here they're in Philippi for quite some time. And here all of a sudden comes this slave girl who's demon-possessed and who was bringing her masters much profit from fortune-telling. So there's demons in there. The demons are speaking through this little girl, and they're casting out these truths, and people are wanting to give her money to find out uh, what they can, what's going to happen in their future. And these, people are, these men are racking up money using this little demon-possessed girl. Verse seventeen. Following after Paul and us, Jesus cried out, saying, "These men are bond servants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation." Now, there's nothing in that statement that's not true, is there? It's a phenomenal statement. In fact, when you study those who were demon possessed, particularly during the life of Christ, the demons often speak so clear truth; it's almost scary. They'll fall down before the Lord Jesus. They'll speak incredible truth. Why? Because they know exactly who he is. And they have a great fear and reverence of him who can throw them into eternal hell. And they know that's coming. But never, never did God ever want Satan speaking for him. And Paul picks up on that here. And he gets tired of it. Verse 18, she continued doing this for many days. So remember, this isn't just a stopover, a rest spot. They're in Philippi for a great amount of time here planting this church. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone... You just took away our dot-com business here. Um, they seize Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace before the authorities. Now, this would have been civil authorities, local authorities, not Roman not Roman government here. They bring them before, and this is important why we talked about his Roman citizens here. Verse 20, and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, to the local guys, they said, these, are, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept, to observe being Roman. So who's bringing them before the magistrates? Who are they? Jews. See, we don't want your gospel. And we're going to use the authorities to bring great pressure against you. In fact, we would like you to be killed that's ultimately their goal. Notice in verse 22, the crowd arose together against them. The chief magistrate tore their clothes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Now, hold your finger there and turn back with me to 1 Thessalonians. I want you to see this. Because the next town that Paul leaves, Philippi, is he goes to Thessalonica to plant a church here. Now look at verse to chapter 2 verse 2 actually verse 1 1 Thessalonians 2 1 for you yourself know brethren that our coming to you was not in vain I'll tell you it wasn't in vain they believed God sent them and they came with the marks on them the brand marks of Jesus Christ Paul calls them in the end of Galatians verse 2 but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in where? Philippi. See, this is documented, not only in Acts, but it's documented to the churches that there was great mistreatment of the Apostle Paul who was trying to share the gospel uh, to these people. And it goes on to say, and you know, we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. See, I think we just get sometimes here in America, we don't realize how difficult it is to share the gospel. And even here in America, if you, if you consciously said, Lord, I want to preach the gospel to somebody every day, I promise you, things will happen to you that you may not expected. Difficulties. When you stand for Christ, there comes a cost. Jesus himself said, take up your cross and follow after me. And it comes, and Paul was just out in the front line all the time. So here they are um, being brought in front of these things. Their clothes are ripped off them, and they're being beaten. Verse 21, and when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer and the guard to secure them. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, this jailer was no dummy. He was probably a Roman uh, Uh, soldier if you lose your prisoners you lose your life these guys somebody is not happy with these two guys as Paul and Silas and possibly Luke and so here's what we're going to do we're going to not put them in jail we're going to put them in the middle of the jail and look at this we're going to cuff them Verse 24, and having received such a command, he threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. I read a little bit about this week. Um, they believed what was in Philippi were stocks that stretched out, so your legs were apart. Now you were left there. And it isn't like Far Side when the guy's in jail and he says, I need to go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know, or he's rowing along and he's a slave and he goes, I have a blister. They didn't care if you had to go to the bathroom. So now think of this you've been beaten down and your flesh is laid open, you're laying in a cell where everybody else used it for a bathroom before you, can you just get a hold and a mind of where these men are at? This is not a hotel. They didn't care if you got infectious diseases. They just didn't have to feed you anymore. There was no human rights. There was no victim rights. There was nobody coming alongside this. But notice what happens, verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to the praise of God. That's why I text Ron. I said, "Ron, can you sing a few hymns for us?" Now, I don't know if they were singing "All Fly Away." <laughs> but maybe they did sing something like that. And maybe the prisoner Guard the prison guard heard them singing some hymn related to the coming of Christ, who is going to redeem them and take them away and bring them with them in their into glory. Maybe that guard heard that singing, and then all of a sudden there 's an earthquake we 're going to see this. the chains are falling off, and these guys are gone. That hymn had an amazing impact to him. Notice the text, read on with me, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there came a great earthquake so the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened and when the jailer awoke he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because this is it you lose your prisoners I'm just going to take your head off so he says I'm just going to save them i the problem I mean just think this man's a family man he has wife and children at home This isn't some rash decision. My children are going to grow up fatherless now, but I'm going to kill myself. Imagine what's going through this man's mind. Verse 28, But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. The singing of hymns and the prayers to God are an amazing source that have reached many, many people for many, many times. And I want you to think about this just for a little while. These men are beaten. They're, They're doubtlessly, their wounds are open because I don't think they gave them a little first aid kit. They're laying in there, middle of the night, praying to the Lord, maybe prayed David's prayer. Maybe they prayed that evening prayer that we read today. Crying out to God for help. They're singing these hymns these truths about the Lord, of the Lord, let me show you a quick hymn that they may have sang. Look at 1 Timothy chapter three. We know this to be a hymn that the early church sang. 1 Timothy chapter three, verse 16. It was called a confession hymn. Maybe they sang something like this. By common confession, the great mystery of godliness, and here it is in your Bible. You'll see it kind of inset here. He who was revealed in flesh, that's Jesus, was vindicated by the Spirit, that's Jesus, seen by angels, that's Jesus, proclaimed among the nations, that's Jesus, believed on in the world, that's Jesus, was taken up in glory, that's Jesus. They may have been singing this. They may have been singing something like, I'll fly away, or nothing but the blood of Jesus. While they're bleeding, while they're laying in somebody else's blood that's dried before them, maybe they were singing of the blood of Jesus that forgave them of their sins. See, these hymns became so important that this man, he's about ready to kill himself. Paul says, we're all here. in the jailer, verse 29, calls for lights and rushes in and trembles with fear. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he, they brought, brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, this is a common theme in the book of Acts. Every once in a while, some of you will ask me why I don't do emotional altar calls and try to bring people down and get them to say prayers and stuff like that. I think if you preach the gospel, they'll make their own altar call. And I see it over and over in the scriptures. And yes, if you need to, save Jesus, to receive Jesus Christ, there'll be somebody down here after the service waiting for you. I think our brother Ted's gonna be down here afterwards. But, but when you hear the gospel and you're a dead man, because that's what this guy was. He was a dead man. Dead. He was going to die. And he was dead spiritually. When you hear the gospel and God, like he did with Lydia, he opens your heart and that gospel comes in. Instead of a sword piercing you, the sword of the spirit pierces you. And you say, oh, God, I need you. I cannot survive this life or eternity without you. And that's what this man does. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And look at their answer. And some people said, well, he just, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell the Romans and, and the magistrates and all that? That's not what he's talking about. Look at verse 31. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, period. Well, you got to do this and you need to be here and you can't eat this and you can't have that and, and, and you need to believe in Jesus. Believe in, the, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Notice it just—they knew it would go out from there. He'd watched it happen. He saw it in Lydia's house. Paul had saw this. Not only you, but you and your household will be saved. This thing's going to grow. When it affects dad, it affects mom. I started DTP so many years ago because I realized if we could get men walking with the Lord, it'll affect the wives, it'll affect the children, their grandparents, the neighbors on the job. It, it just affects men. And when women get saved, it affects the children. It affects their ladies that they hang out with. It affects their families. And often affects their own husbands. As God loves to save families, it seems that way. In verse 32, notice this, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of that night and washed their wounds. He's transformed. This is a mean, heartless man. He may have been involved in the beating of Paul. Now he's cleansing them. He's, he's giving them medical care. He he's brought them into his own house, verse 34. And in verse 33, immediately he's baptized. Immediately, Paul, baptisms were quick in the New Testament because immediately they had to say, you're no longer a part of this. He was a, he was a pagan. He worshiped false gods. And now he stands in the waters of baptism with his family around him. Paul, Silas, and possibly Luke, and possibly Timothy came as well. And there this man saying, I no longer belong to the world. I belong to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do on November 23rd. And that's what's going to happen. There's a bunch of people being baptized and they're going to tell you that. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't belong to the world any longer. This mean, cruel, ruthless man now is a part of the body of Christ. And look at verse 34. He feeds them. He brings them into his own house. Doubtlessly, it was close. Maybe, maybe he had housing with his, with his financial package. It was next door or something, you know. And he feeds them. And, and look at what happens. Rejoice greatly. He has joy in his life because he received the what? The joy giver. See, he's got joy now, and he's rejoicing with him, having believed in God in his whole household. Verse 35, and now when the day came, no, now back to present day, they have to go back into prison. Paul, uh, nah, I, I mean, he said, well, how can I do this? You've introduced me to eternal life. You, I'm reading between the lines here. Paul says, no, I, you guys got to go back in. He goes, we have to go back in. You need to put the chains back on us. You need to take us back in. We love you and we want to protect you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine this Philippian jailer who's now saved, down on his knees, clicking in the shackles to the man who shared Jesus with him, spreading his legs out, sitting him down in filth? I mean, that must have—I I, I just overwhelmed when you read this story. But now, the next day, when the when when day came, the chief magistrates sent their police men saying, "Release those men." Uh-oh, something's happened. God's at work for number one. But two, Paul is going to teach some people some lessons here. Verse 36. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come now and go out in peace. You're beat to shreds. You've been locked up in filth. You probably have diseases now coursing through your blood cells in your body. But hey, go on. Be at peace. Peace, brother. Just leave us. Paul ain't going for this. And I'm going to tell you why he didn't go for this. And this is so important. It's not because he's going, I'm going to get even. You need to understand this. He's not trying to get even. He is protecting the church. He is going to make these people do things right so that the people behind him, Lydia, the Philippine, the, uh, Philippine jailer, uh, all of these guys, th- he's going to protect this church. And here's what he does. Look at verse 37. Now, Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans. And you could just hear the pin drop in the room. We just beat a Roman. You can beat anybody else, but you don't beat one of our own without a trial. And you you let a mob go crazy. You let these crazy Jews bring these people in front of you. You tore the clothes off them. You publicly humiliated them. You beat them to the inch of your life and you locked them in prison and you never had the right to do any of that. And this what happened to the church. So Paul says, I'm going to protect the church. This is my thoughts here. I think, I think he's fully protecting the church. You've thrown us into prison and now you're sending us away secretly? No. No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. Boy. Paul is setting a precedent here. Verse 38, the policemen reported the words to the chief magistrate and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. I mean, hey, people's jobs are on the line here. They don't want these men here. But notice what they did. And they went out of the house and they entered the house of Lydia. And they went and saw the brethren and encouraged them and and departed. Uh, They didn't just leave. I, I want you to know because you know, hey, we got the press. The press was there too. I promise you. Where are these guys going? Let's follow them for a little while. Wow, they go to that church. That's New Planet. That new place of worship. They're staying there. See, he was identifying the church. He was also protecting them. You cannot treat these people this way. And he protects that church. He stays with them. He encourages these brethren. I mean, he's a mess. But he encourages them, and he departs. Now, this is the book of Philippians. This is the groundwork of it all. This is where it all establishes. And I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to finish this up a little bit next week because I'm out of time. But, but now, 11... 11 to 12 years later, he writes a letter to them called the book of Philippians. And he reminds them of the joy giver. He reminds them of the one he sang about in that jail cell. See, this book's an amazing book. And you and I are going to learn to worship when we don't feel like it at times. You're going to learn to love Jesus in difficult times when we study this book. I'm going to learn that. And so we're gonna study this together and we're gonna find that, we're gonna know this church and I think, I hope, that Grace Bible Church, when we get to heaven, is gonna look these people up and say, hey, brothers and sisters, how are you? All right, let's pray and then Ron's gonna close with us. Father, we thank you for a chance to start this book. It's amazing its birth, Lord. The birth of this church is in very difficult circumstances. But Lord, I think that's how you do things. You want to, people to understand that following Jesus is not some lucky rabbit foot. Some get out me out of jail card. Get me out of problems that I have created. Lord, there's too many people who believe Jesus that way. Too many people to think that Jesus is just some Boyfriend or girlfriend or some good teacher or or there's just some really neat people who go to those Jesus-loving churches. But it's a commitment to follow Jesus in very difficult times as well as good times. And when we follow him, we receive the joy of the Lord. So Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we look at the book of Philippians together in the coming months, Lord, and we delve into this truth, this word that you wrote through this Apostle Paul to this church many years after this story and the development of this church that we will learn and we will grow and we will be a church that doesn't end up with the seven churches of Revelation but a church that is beloved by God beloved by those who preach the gospel because we held to the joy giver not to the happiness that we try to get from the world so, Lord, we pray that you would instill this in our hearts. Thank you for getting us through the surface. I appreciate the help, Lord, in Jesus' name.